Man, so glad to see you this morning. Uh, my name is George Olmstead. I am one of the pastors here on staff. Our senior pastor is away from the pulpit this morning, so I have the privilege of getting to share God's Word with you, and I pray you'll take your Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 1, whether it's a physical Bible on your phone. We'll have some of the scriptures on the screen for you as well. Uh, but as you turn there, uh, just so you know, we're in the middle of a series entitled True Church, and what we're doing is we're taking the book of Ephesians, and we are just going verse by verse, and we will be finished when we're finished, and it's an exciting time to be able to do that uh, with the Word of God. But we will find ourselves in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14 this morning. And so uh, we are just very excited to be able to, to share with you uh, what God has been teaching us. So when I was 21, I was on staff at a church, my first staff job, uh, that's what happens, but we actually didn't do that, we played, but... I was a very competitive 21-year-old, just coming out of high school and college, and man, uh, needed a place to, to play basketball, and I will just be honest with you, there wasn't a lot of, of Christ being shown on that court. Um, for myself, a lot of trash talking, a lot of griping and playing at the refs, telling them how bad they were, um, just wasn't a good example, it just wasn't, uh, as a matter of fact, got to the point where uh, I had two technicals in one game and got kicked out of a church league basketball game. That's some serious misguidance right there. That, that was the wrong purpose to be there. As uh, a matter of fact, that led to being sat down with the leadership of the church and saying, hey, man, that's just basketball. And I was like, I know, I know, I just got a little out of hand and, you know, it won't happen again until next week and then it happened again. And so that was a moment in my life that I really found myself going, man, I need... I need to probably listen, not only to others in my life, but I need to listen to what I was hearing, <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Because I was feeling convicted, because I'm a children's pastor, I'm getting kicked out of basketball games, I'm not setting an example very well for the kids, much less the parents that are there watching, or the other believers that were there, or for those who weren't even saved that were out there playing. So, um, but I felt that conviction, and over time I really asked the Lord to take that, to take that attitude away, and to really... Um, if, if I didn't need to be on the basketball court, I don't need to be on the basketball court, that's fine, Lord, take that away. And he did. But it took a response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So what we have done is we have looked uh, at verses 3 through 14, and as Pastor Grant has shared with us, this is just one long run-on sentence uh, that uh, are in the Greek. And so we are going to, we've broken it down. Verses 3 through 6 uh, began to show us how, uh, how Ephesians reveals the work of the triune God in bringing about the redemption of his people. In verses 3 through 6, what happened was, is we looked at God the Father as he selects us and how he initiates our salvation. And in verses 7 through 12, we, we looked at how God the Son saves us and how he secured our salvation through the cross and uh, through the resurrection. And, and then we, to, today we find ourselves in verses 13 and 14. And we're going to look at how God the Spirit seals us as possessing salvation. And the cool thing is about each one of these sections of, of verses within the 3 through 14, it ends with, to the praise of his glory. And so we want to focus on that there at the end. But before we jump into our text, uh, it's important to understand that, that we're not going to be able to cover this morning everything about the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be able to address every topic or every argument about the Holy Spirit. But what we will be able to do is, is be specific to the text 
And that's what we want to do as we dive into this. But before we get into that, I want us to look at, at some, an overall picture of the Holy Spirit. So I said earlier, he convicted me. So we know that, that the Holy Spirit brings conviction for the believer. But we also know this, that he is the third person of the Trinity. He is God, co-equal with the Father and the Son. He is the author of Scripture. He is the comforter, the counselor, the advocate that's been promised. He is, as I said, the convictor of sin. He's the deposit or the seal, the, the earnest that we're going to talk about this morning. He's also our guide. He indwells within the believer. He is uh, the intercessor. He is also the revealer and the spirit of truth. You know, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, he is Lord. He is the spirit of life. He is the teacher he is also the witness. And I also want us to know that uh, from the very beginning, even in Genesis, we understand that he's always been there and he was there in creation. He is part of the triune God. He has always been. But we also know that he is the giver of gifts and he is the provider of fruit. And so this morning, as Paul ends this, this, uh, this passage concerning the Trinity, I believe this is one of the most comforting and life-giving attributes of the Holy Spirit that we're going to look at today. He helps answer this question. Can we be confident that our salvation is secure? Man, that is a great question because in life there are so many areas that we find ourselves lacking confidence. But in this one area, the security of the believer, we can be confident not because of us I want to be clear but because of the one who has saved us the one who has secured us and the one who has sealed us so that's where we find ourselves in ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 let's read together in him you also after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation having also believed you were sealed in him with the holy spirit of the promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So what we see very quickly in verse 13, uh, part A as we would, we would define that, is that the Holy Spirit does this. He, he draws us. He draws us. So verse 13 starts out with two very important words. It's a transition here, and it says, in him, in him. Who is this in him? Well, we know this is Jesus, the one who has saved you, the one who has secured the salvation. He is the one that through his death on the cross and the resurrection from the tomb has redeemed you and made you right before the Father. In him is so vital in understanding what takes place in the moment that you are justified, that you are freed and forgiven of your sin. And we're going to switch mics really quick. We had this issue in the first uh, deal, so I'm just going to grab this one. We tried to make an adjustment there, and that's okay. We will move on. So we want to come and understand that, and and the fact that, uh, that Jesus justified us. And it's very important that it's in him through how we are justified, and that Uh, In that freedom, what are we? We're freed, we're forgiven of that sin that separated us from God. We just sang, uh, my my chains are gone. 
I've been set free. From what? From that sin. And so it's really awesome that the work of Jesus begins it all for the sinner who moves from spiritual death unto eternal life. So Paul goes on to state in verse 13, in him, which is vital, then he says this, you also, you also. He's addressing Gentile believers right here. You also, hey, you Gentiles, everyone, in and through Jesus, there's no distinction, there's no separation. Hey, not only the Jews, but you also, you get this. And he goes on to explain then what has happened. We pick up in verse 13, he says, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So Paul, he's doing something really cool there. He's, he's taking time to explain what took place before these Gentiles believed. So let's look at this for, for just a moment. We begin to see the work of the Holy Spirit, how he begins to draw the listener unto salvation. Jesus had prepared the disciples, if you remember in the New Testament, he has prepared the disciples for the Holy Spirit to come after his departure. We see that in John 15, 26. It reads, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, namely the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify about me. And then in John 16, 8, Jesus states, And he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. But then he goes even further in John 6, 44 and says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Paul is reminding the Ephesian believers here that the Holy Spirit is working, he's moving and providing the pull towards salvation. And he says, listen, after you hear the message of truth, the gospel, the Holy Spirit is drawing you. Here's what he says happens. Read with me. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, when we think about this, as he's drawing, as in Romans 10, it says this in verse 14. It states, how then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in whom whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? So here's the great thing about this text. It states after listening. That means if someone is actively listening like you are right now, that means somebody has to be doing what? Talking, presenting, sharing, preaching, teaching, fill in the blank. But somebody has to be doing something for you to be communicating with you for you to be able to listen. So Paul does this. He takes the message of truth. He takes the gospel to Ephesus. How did the Gentiles hear? Who were they listening to? Well, of course, they were listening to Paul and, and other believers who had experienced the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want us to understand and be very clear. As we looked at the Father and we looked at the Son, we understand in Ephesians and other places throughout the Scripture that it is God who does all the saving. You and I have, have no part in, in the saving, the salvation. But we do have a part. The Holy Spirit is drawing people into them. We have a part in being used by the Holy Spirit to be the one who shares. As a matter of fact, that's what the Great Commission is all about. Go. Teach. Baptize. That's what we get to do. Disciple. We are going to go and share the truth. If you have been saved... You have a testimony to share. You have a story to tell about how God has saved you and changed you and impacted you in a way that, is, that has just made you new, as the Bible has said. 
So understand that if, even if I wanted to say to my three children, Drew, Thad, Gabrielle, man, I want to save you right now from an eternity separated from God. I can't do that for them. But what I can do is point them to the one who can. I can provide every situation for them to hear the truth. I can share it. Their leaders here in this church can share it. Those who believe can share it. Now, fortunately, my two boys, they should be sharing it because they have professed faith in Christ and have been saved. And we are making sure that Gabrielle hears the truth. We have that responsibility to share as the Holy Spirit is working in the lives and the hearts of people. And this is exactly what happened here for Gentiles here in Ephesus. They had no hope of the promise until they heard about the promise of Jesus. So what happened after they heard the message of the truth? What happened after the gospel? So what does your Bible say happened? They heard the message of truth. They heard the gospel, and then what did they do? They what? They what? Thank you. Believe. I know that's not normal for us to talk back. I understand that. But I just want to see if more than three people were listening. And three of you passed. I'm joking. They believed. That is the greatest moment in any person's life. They believed. The Holy Spirit drew them to that point. And then their responsibility was to confess and repent. And they believed. They placed their faith and trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit, through the preaching, the teaching of the gospel, drew them to that moment. He draws them through the message of the gospel being presented. So what is the gospel? If we come across the word gospel in the scriptures, we should probably make sure that we understand exactly what that is. And I want to help you this morning. I think sometimes as believers... We, we, we can complicate what, what the gospel is. The gospel, according to the scriptures, is, is very simple. Here's what happens. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus was buried in a tomb and he rose three days later. And in that, he was the ultimate sacrifice for sin. As he bled on the cross, he provided redemption for the sin of man. When he was buried in the tomb, he defeated death and sin in the grave. And now he's alive at the right hand of the Father. That's the gospel. He came to provide you and I an opportunity to have our sins forgiven, to be made right with God. Man, I love the gospel. And I want to share with you that you can share that gospel too. It's not all about just going deep. We must go deep. We must learn. We must, we must grow in the word. But we need to take what we've learned, what we've experienced in the salvation of Christ, and we need to share it so that those who have not heard can hear. The Holy Spirit is at work this morning, whether it be here or all around the world, drawing sinners in need of forgiveness to the one who can do just that. But not only do we see that the Holy Spirit draws, but the Holy Spirit also seals us. Verse 13b, Paul goes on in this verse and he says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now here we see the function of the Holy Spirit. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit had been at work in the Old Testament. But the thing is, in the Old Testament, he would, he would come and he would go. He, he never indwelt in the believer. The Holy Spirit worked there, but he wasn't a permanent fixture in the lives of those who trusted in God. However, when Jesus came, that's when things changed. When Jesus came and the new covenant was established, salvation through the, his finished work on the cross and the grave, there was a promise that a helper, the helper, the comforter, would come after Jesus left the earth. What a great promise. John 14, 16 and 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you. And what does it say? And you and will be in you. Listen, once we are saved, in that moment of the salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells in us. He lives within us and he is in us forever. He never leaves us. The Holy Spirit was in his promise to those who believe. So once we're saved at that moment, we are given all of the Holy Spirit. Not part of the Spirit, but all of him. He indwells within us. He, he remains with us and in us. And Paul uses the word seal very intentionally. It was something that the culture that he lived within would recognize and understand. The seal was serious business. The seal in biblical times is usually made uh, of hot wax. It was impressed with a signet ring or an other official insignia. And, and Grant has explained this over the last few months a couple different times and, as the scripture has led us here. But I want us to, to kind of continue to look at what that seal does. It represents at least three things. The first thing the seal represents is that the seal secures. The seal made something Secure. So like at the tomb, the Roman guards sealed the tomb of Jesus so that no one could steal his body, according to Matthew 27. So here's what they probably did. They probably put a rope across the stone that blocked the entrance and secured both ends with wax, stamped it with the official Roman seal. And so they were familiar as they were listening to this letter or reading this letter, and they, they understood that what that seal meant. Uh, maybe on a letter or a legal document, it was sealed with wax and stamped with that special seal so the recipient could be sure that it had not been tampered with. And this is what happens when you trust in Christ. God seals you with the Holy Spirit, making your salvation secure. No one can break God's seal. That's an amazing promise. It's a confidence that actually leads to the believer placing their confidence in the one who saves. But not only is the seal secure, the seal provides identification of ownership. So the seal marked out the property or documents as belonging to one who put the seal upon it. So uh, like if you know of ranchers or those who, who uh, work with cattle and they own a lot of heads of cattle, they, what do they do? They, they brand them, right? And you know if that cow was to get out in the middle of the street or along the road, who that cow belongs to. It's not yours. You need to take it back to the rightful owner. Now, you may not appreciate being um, compared to a cow this morning, and I'm sorry, but that's just kind of a great illustration. And so what we see here, though, is this, 
that God's Spirit is the seal on the believer, showing that you are no longer your own. That's the possession. We are now God's possession. We have, we have submitted ourselves to saying, God, you are the one who saves. You are the one who secures. You're the one who seals. You are the one who has the right will and the right plan, and it's perfect according to you. So I submit my personal ownership to you, and God possesses us. And it's so amazing to be possessed by the one who knows what's perfectly right for you. When we see this, the seal secures. It provides identification of ownership, but it also authenticates. So a seal makes something official or authentic. So here's something really cool. Like when I, I love baseball. I played football and basketball growing up, but I love baseball. Was never any good at it, but I love it. Uh, as a matter of fact, my parents, they're from Baltimore area, and so anytime the, the Orioles would come and watch the Rangers, for no baseball fans, those are two baseball teams, Orioles and Rangers, they would come. And we would cheer for the Orioles in the midst of 115-degree weather in Texas State uh, in the Rangers' ballpark. And so what happened is I started to really follow and uh, like Cal Ripken Jr., one of the best shortstops to play the game, has the longest strength for playing as many games in a row as possible, just a really good ball player. But I always wanted something signed by Cal Ripken. And one day my dad was able to, to get a ball that was signed by Cal Ripken, but guess what happened? It didn't come with any certificate of authenticity. And at that age, I was like, hmm, Dad, did he really sign it? Did he really do this? But when I was older, I was around 18, my aunt and uncle, they sent me a ball that was signed by Cal Ripken Jr. And I lifted that ball up in the case, and under it was a certificate of authenticity. He really signed it. Now, I couldn't tell you where that ball is today, so that guess shows you how important it was to me. But at the end of the day, <laughs> what that teaches us is this. There was a seal. It was signed by the, by the owner. And maybe you look at a birth certificate, the same thing. Like a birth certificate with a seal is important. The one without a seal doesn't get you very far. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He authenticates us in God. When we think about this, Romans 8.16 states, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Jesus emphasizes the importance and the security of the seal of the Holy Spirit when he states this, that no one can snatch those who believe out of the Father's hand. We are secure. Now, listen, you and I didn't do anything to earn our salvation. We didn't do anything to guarantee our salvation. God did it. He did it all. Our responsibility was to repent and place our faith and trust in him. He did the salvation. So here's what happens. The Trinity in a perfect harmony, as we see in Ephesians 3 through 14, the perfect harmony worked in and through each other, selecting us, securing us, and sealing us. We can be confident that the same God who is powerful enough and gracious enough to save us is powerful enough and gracious enough to keep us. There's this tension that one can lose your salvation. And it's been a fear amongst believers. And I want to encourage you this morning to know we can have full assurance of our salvation. And that is so comforting this morning. 
Because here's what it says in 1 John 5, 11 through 13. I didn't have this one on the screen. If you want to jot it down, you can go back and look at it later. 1 John 5, 11 through 13, it says this. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has the life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And here we go. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Now what a confidence in the one who grants eternal life. We are sealed through the Holy Spirit. Not only are we, does the Holy Spirit draw us, not only are we sealed in the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Let's jump into verse 14 very quickly. He says this, who is a first installment of our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit is given to us as a pledge of our inheritance. Listen, when we are justified, when we are saved, the Holy Spirit indwells with us and seals us. But however, we don't really, we don't immediately receive the physical reward of heaven, do we? No, as a matter of fact, we uh, are left here on earth to live life and to do the good works that we were created in as we await that final reward, our inheritance. This gift of God is eternal life, so we know heaven awaits, and we know we are promised to one day be God, to, to be with God in heaven. And that's amazing. That's what he's done for us. We are born of this world separated from him, yet if we repent, confess, uh, and trace our faith, place our faith and trust in him, guess what? We are now no longer separated, but we now have a home waiting for us forever of the inheritance of heaven. Listen to what 1 Peter 1, 3-8 says. If you want to turn your Bibles there or pull up on your phone, 1 Peter 1, 3-8 speaks beautifully to this pledge of our inheritance. Verse 3 in 1 Peter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. <coughs> Excuse me. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials... That happens. So the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes through tested by, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. The first installment the giving of the Holy Spirit to live and work within us while we await heaven is such a gracious act by God. We are able to be shaped. We are able to be molded. We're able to be taught, guided, changed into the new creation that God has created us to be in our salvation all through the work of the Holy Spirit. I am so thankful that we have the helper who makes the changes. What a blessing. What a promise by God. Once we are saved, we need to understand we are in need of being sanctified. We need the Holy Spirit to, to change us from the inside out. It is in this time that we await the, uh, the, what the Holy Spirit provides, and he provides for us what? 
gifts, and he provides for us fruit. And he does that so that we might be a sanctifying servant of the king. So the first installment, this pledge, can be understood by looking at an engagement ring. I remember how awesome uh, my engagement to my wife was. It was at midnight. I was on one knee in her, in her driveway. Doesn't that sound romantic? Will you marry me? That's horrible. Don't do that. Do something better. For those of you who aren't married. If you're already married, like me, figure out how to make it up to her. I don't know. But that engagement ring did not give me any benefits of marriage. It simply was a promise of what was to come. And once that engagement ring moved into a wedding ring, I've been able to live out the promise of marriage with my wife. Well, this first installment of the Holy Spirit, he seals us and he begins to sanctify us as we await the final reward. How do we know this? Because that's what we see in the very next part of verse 14. Who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So just as we saw earlier in 1 Peter 3, 8, as we wait our inheritance, we can be assured that our final redemption will take place. Listen, we've already been saved, and we don't need to be saved time and time again. Hebrews 6 addresses this and letting us know if we needed to be saved again, we would need to crucify Jesus again as well. And the, the Scripture teaches us that Jesus accomplished everything on the cross once and for all. We don't want to mock or have a mockery to continue crucifying Jesus Time and time again. As a matter of fact, Paul is being very clear. The final day of redemption will come. And it will be the most amazing day of our lives. Hopefully and prayerfully, you are looking forward to it. This morning, I was greeted by a gentleman at the 9 o'clock hour. And he said, I just can't wait to be with my Father in heaven. Boy, man, he came with purpose this morning. He's fellowshipping with the Father right now. The Son and the Spirit. He's fellowshipping with God. But one day, he knows... Because he's been sealed by the Holy Spirit that he will spend an eternity with the Lord. Listen, can we confidently know? Can we be confident in our salvation being secure for all eternity? I want to tell you this morning, yes. And this is why the work of the Holy Spirit is so amazing. He seals us. That means he secures us, identifies us as his possession, and he authenticates us. But he seals us as he provides for us the pledge of this inheritance, and he sees it through to completion. Ephesians 4.30 gives us a good warning. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for what? The day of redemption. Listen, we are to follow the Holy Spirit, obey the Holy Spirit. We are to allow him to, to mold us, to change us. Like I said earlier, we're not to fight against him. We're to count it joy that he, he cares enough to want to change us into whom God desires for us to be. We can be assured this morning that we are sealed, secured, and sanctified through the work of our triune God. So as we move into our, our closing of the sermon this morning, I do think it's important to speak briefly to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. You know, many times throughout ministry you get asked questions, and you guys have probably been asked these questions, and, but here's one that comes all the time. Uh, George, what, what do you feel about the gifts of the Spirit and the role they play in our lives? Uh, you know, we're going to address this as we get more into Ephesians and other areas of study that we'll do throughout the year. But, but I want to share with you a few thoughts. And here's how I want us to leave with, because I can't really dive into it due to time. But 
There are different types of gifts. We need to understand that. We need to understand we are to desire the gifts. We need to understand that not every gift is for every believer. We need to understand the gifts of the Spirit are to be used according to the Scripture. And our focus should not be on the gifts of the Spirit, but listen, they should be instead on the fruit of the Spirit. Why would we say that? Well, when the fruit of the Spirit is growing and flourishing within the believer, guess what happens? The gift or gifts that we have been granted will be used to glorify God and point others to Him. The focus won't be on ourselves. No, it'll be where it belongs, on the Lord. Remember in 1 Corinthians, we, we had a sermon about a few months ago. We talked about 1 Corinthians. We talked about what was the greatest of all, and that word is love. It's greater than all the gifts, and love is a fruit of the Spirit. So while our understanding and use of the spiritual gifts are necessary, love is the most important and necessary characteristic to live out the calling of God in our lives. So Paul ends this morning with this. To the praise of His glory, capital H, His glory. I want to encourage you this morning. Praise and glory is the heartbeat, the outcry of the believer as we realize we are sealed and secure for all eternity. 1 Peter 2.9 is a great verse to wrap this section of Ephesians up, verses 3 through 14. It says this in verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you, what? Out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our triune God, the God of the universe, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons is deserving of all the praise and all the glory. Here's why. He selects us, he saves us, he seals us. He's called us out of the marvelous, uh, out of darkness into the marvelous light. And here's what we have, the privilege of worshiping him with all praise and glory. Our life as believers, we should be a representation of his good and complete work in us. Our life should be a daily life of praise and worship for what he has done and what he will continue to do. The salvation of the Lord is marvelous. It's glorious. And not only is it marvelous and glorious, but it is complete and it's sealed and it's secured for those who believe. The action step for you this week, I'm going to do it myself as well. Live a life praising and glorifying God, allowing the Holy Spirit to mold me into the believer God desires for me to be. Don't resist the molding and the shaping. Embrace it. Embrace it with joy that our God cares enough about us to continue to sanctify us as we praise and glorify Him. Let's pray this morning. God, we are thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for Your truth, Your Gospel. Thank You for the work of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, it's my prayer that we as believers will continue to place the Holy Spirit in the proper place that He deserves with the Father, with the Son. That we understand that He is God. And Lord, that we will be obedient to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we come before you as well knowing that uh, maybe for the first time uh, someone is recognizing that uh, you are calling them unto them. 
under you. And they understand their need for repentance and forgiveness. And Lord, we pray that the salvation is for them today. Lord, that they'll simply just pray and say, God, forgive me. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I believe that you died and rose again. And I'm placing my full faith and trust in you. I repent of my sin. Lord, for those who believe today, we celebrate. For those who you're still pursuing, God, we pray that they too will come to know you as Savior. For the believer today, God, we pray that we will worship you and praise you because you deserve all the glory. It's your name we pray. Amen. We're going to